Friends, it's hard to imagine that we're in week number five of a seven-week series entitled Reimagine. Uh, This is a series that has required, no doubt, the use of our spiritual imagination uh, to flex our creative muscles as we, together, as a family of faith, submit to God's Word for the sake of the future. And as we said at the very beginning, this series is helping us unpack a refreshed missional statement, along with those missional non-negotiables, the the motives or the filters through which we as a family of faith make decisions. Now, if you joined us last week at the congregational meeting, then you were given a detailed sheet, not only of the mandate, but also of the motives. And if you weren't able to join us last week and you'd like a packet that would include that sheet, please talk to us and we'd be happy to give that to you. Where's what I'd love to do? I'd love to just quickly recap where we have been over the last four weeks. Ezekiel, we started there, prophetically proclaimed that the future church must and will look different. That in this next season, the church will primarily be about going rather than coming, about living out there rather than being cloistered in here. That like a trickle, God's transformed people will go forth into the places where they live and work and play, inviting others into a relationship with themselves and more importantly, into a relationship with the Jesus that is both in and with them. So that as they go, disciples are made. And friends, all of this, all of this is a work of God's spirit to make dead things come alive, to bring healing to all people, to see individuals and communities flourish with the gospel, ultimately to see a movement of God's kingdom here on earth. Now, sisters and brothers, uh, disciples of Jesus, we have been given a missional mandate from Jesus himself, right? It is to walk with everyday people every day as we live out his abundant life. And friends, we can't possibly do that without a sense of rooted identity, right? It's understanding and living out who God says I am and who others are. Without, without an understanding of our identity as daughters and sons of the Most High King, and without an understanding of the inherent worth of all human beings, we cannot live out that mandate of Jesus. And so it is, it is important to fully take hold of our worth and the worth of others if we are going to live out this Second, missional motive. That is intentional, intentional relationships. Now, there's been a a theme running through several conversations of late. 
Uh, conversations in our own household, uh, conversations within this family of faith, conversations in the culture at large. In all of these contexts, people must live inside of relationships. And in case you're wondering, living inside of the context of relationships is hard work. Uh, maybe, maybe say this, it's hard work if, if you want a sense of meaning and fulfillment. It's hard work because people are people. Uh, friendship can be hard work. Marriages can be hard work. Neighboring can be hard work. Communities can be hard work. School boards can be hard work. Colleagues can be hard work. Siblings certainly can be hard work. I know if you ask my kids, parents can be hard work. And if you ask me, kids can be hard work as well. Relationships are just hard work. And why? Why are they hard work? Because people are inherently broken and they are not inherently good. Church, truthfully, if we could get a hold of this truth, then we wouldn't be surprised at the behavior of other people nor of ourselves. If we could let this truth simply sink into our hearts and our minds and our spirits, we wouldn't be surprised that relationships are hard work. We wouldn't be surprised that they're a challenge because at our core, you and I, humans, are broken. You see, St. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3 of this. He says, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. In other words, nobody, nobody is outside the captivity of sin and brokenness. St. Paul's making really clear that God's people, Jews, God's people, even God's people are broken. So Jews and Gentiles, the whole of all people are broken. He goes on, as it's written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even, not even one. Certainly, there are some of us who think that relationships are easy. You may be thinking about the relationships that you possess, and you're thinking, Pastor, they're, they're not that hard. If that's true, my guess is, and I'm going to walk this line very carefully, but my guess is it's because those relationships are both shallow and without fulfillment. Intimate relationships with people who know not only your opinions, but also your feelings, those kinds of relationships take work, and they take hard work. But just because they're hard work doesn't mean we should avoid them. In fact, in today's text, which Mike read just moments ago, Jesus intentionally enters 
into relationships and into very specific relationships. And this, friends, this is deeply important for us as a church family to pay attention to. Because as disciples of Jesus, as disciples who are orienting their lives around the life of Jesus, we want to orient our life not only around the words of Jesus, but also the ways of Jesus. Uh, Said another way, Jesus shows us what it means to be perfectly human. His life is the definitive way to live. So if you want to know how to live this kingdom out in the world today, according to God's will, if we want to live God's kingdom, if we want to know how to live that, then we simply look at Jesus and the way that he lived his life. And in this case today, the people with whom he lived in relationship. So to do that, we got to get to Luke chapter 6. You'll want a Bible, the one you brought, the one that's in the pew. We're going to go to Luke chapter 6 together. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Now, as you're finding that, to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus Jesus has been exercising power and authority, primarily over sickness and disease, but also, interestingly, over the demonic. And he's been using, up to this point, he's been using the miraculous to gain a hearing and an audience. So up to this point, he's exercising all this power and authority over sickness, over disease, over the demonic, and he's using that miraculous in order to gain a hearing and an audience. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus calls disciples to follow him, uh, to learn from him, to learn not only his words, but his ways. And while he's called some specific disciples, there are many, many people who have chosen to follow Jesus as he ushers in the kingdom of God here on earth. And so when we arrive then in Luke 6, Jesus is preparing for what will be a pretty massive day of kingdom work. So here we go. Let's get to it. This is Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Uh, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Now let's pause here for just just a second. Uh, In order to prepare for the kingdom work that Jesus is about to engage in, remember I said there's a pretty massive kingdom work day that's ahead of Jesus, And and in order to prepare for the kingdom work that he's going to do, Jesus spends the night with God, alone. Him and his father, the two of them just sharing presence. 
Uh, let, let me say it another way. It was necessary for Jesus to spend alone time with his father in order to do the mission. It's necessary for Jesus to spend alone time with the Father in order to do the mission. In fact, if we were to back up into chapter five, we read this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So, Jesus has the habit of spending time alone with the Father. And it is necessary in order to do the mission. Now, friends, I, I suspect that in those times of silence, in those times of solitude, in that time of prayer, Jesus is brought back to the truth of his identity. Uh, he gets away from the world and how the, how the world wants to identify him. And he, again, hears from the Father in those moments, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. In order to accomplish the mission, Jesus must spend time in the Father's presence. The first relationship that Jesus engages in is the relationship with his Father. And friends, if Jesus' life is the definitive way to live, then the first relationship we need to engage in is with the Heavenly Father. It is imperative to engage with God, to engage and to spend time with Him, allowing the noise of the world to quiet for the sake of hearing the still small voice of our Father, of the one who continues to call us daughters and sons. See, the mission living out there in the world and drawing people into relationship with us and into a relationship with the Jesus who is in and with us is hard work. And if we haven't taken time to have our soul fed and restored by our Heavenly Father, well, we can't give away what we don't possess. Now, there is no doubt that when we come to worship, we encounter Christ through the preaching of his word and the receiving of the Lord's Supper. Worship is, is a part of what it means to engage God. But, but church, it is worth noting that Jesus didn't go away to worship. He didn't head to the synagogue when he was trying to get alone. He went away in solitude to be with his Father. And friends, this, this has implications for you and me. Worship, what we do here this morning, what we do on every Sunday morning, is for the most part communal and not private. 
And what's happening in the context of the text is not communal, it's private. And so it begs the question for God's people, for you and for me, if Jesus' life is the definitive way to live, if his living in the kingdom is what it looks like for us to live in the kingdom, and if it is necessary in order to accomplish the mission, if it's necessary to actually spend alone time with the Father, it should beg the question, how's that going? Or are you relying on the communal thing that we do every Sunday morning to substitute that alone, personal, intentional time with God himself? Are you engaging with God in a private and a personal way, in a way that is scattered from this place? And what would that look like? Well, for us, church, for us, this personal time, this private time, this alone time with God happens in the reading of God's Word. When you and I crack open that Word in our homes, in our favorite reading chair, on our deck, out beside the pool, whether it's on a phone or it's in paper, when we crack open God's Word, there Christ meets us. And we get to spend time with Him privately and personally. There in that place, God reminding us again and again that we are His daughters and His sons. It is imperative sisters and brothers, that if we want to see the mission happen, that we spend private and personal time with God, reading His Word and engaging in prayer. If we're going to engage in this first relationship with God, we must have a life of prayer we must read God's Word. This is how Jesus engaged with His Father, and it is how we should follow suit. But friends, that's not it. That's not the only relationship that He engages in. So let's keep going in the text. This is Luke 6, of course, continued. Uh, When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. And he went down with them, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. Let's pause. Here again, Jesus investing in relationships, specifically with his disciples, with those who are living out the words and the works of their rabbi. The disciples and the 12 that Jesus has chosen to be goers, these are those who are attempting, right, to orient their life around Jesus's life. The disciples are learning together. They're attempting together. They're failing together. They're going on the mission together. These are, these are people who are living life 
together. And Jesus, Jesus invests in those who share this disciple life. So the second relationship that Jesus invests in are in those who are orienting their lives around him. Another way to say it, Jesus spends time with believers. And again, if Jesus' life is the definitive way to live, then the next relationship that we invest in and we engage in is with believers, those who are inside the family of faith. You know, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another statements. Uh, most of these coming from the Apostle Paul, who's, who's writing letters of encouragement and instruction for young churches. 59 passages that tell sisters and brothers what it means to engage to invest in this family of faith. Things like love one another, bear one another up, spur one another on, encourage one another. The list goes on and on and on. You see, Paul, Paul is doing his darndest to try to show us what it looks like to invest in the lives of other disciples. And he's writing it, I think, probably so many times because, you know, relationships are hard and people are broken. Even those who are sitting in the pew next to you. So here's what I want you to do, just briefly. I want you just to look up and down the pew. Just, just peek at them. Some of you, they're, they're family. I get that. Some of them are the family of faith. Now, this isn't going to shock you, but you guys don't all think the same things. You have varied opinions. How do I know it? I read it on your social media. This is the reality. And relationships in this family of faith can be hard. In fact, it is hard. And yet, sisters and brothers, you and I orienting our life around the life of Jesus, around his words and his ways, encouraged, challenged, instructed by Paul to love one another, to bear one another up, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, it is imperative, interestingly, that if we want to see the mission accomplished, we must engage in the relationship with those who are inside of the family of faith. We must invest in this relationship. Why? Because in a similar way to what happens when we engage in the relationship with our Heavenly Father, when we come together on a Sunday morning like today, and we gather in this communal space, we remind one another who we are. It shouldn't move by us too quickly that one of the first things that we do together as a family of faith is to admit that we are sinners. 
And we always do that in community. You know, I've often thought it'd be really fun to look up and down the aisle when we confess those things together. Uh, to remind you and I, to remind one another that we are indeed broken inherently. That as Paul says, there is no one who is good. It shouldn't get by us too quickly that the first thing we do is remind one another in worship who we are. Sinners. But it, it shouldn't get by us too quickly either that we often wrap up the service coming to the table together. Sinners, though we are, joining this family of faith, coming to a meal in which Jesus invites us to, it shouldn't get by us too quickly that as a community of faith, we are reminded that we are sons and daughters as you and I taste the forgiveness that is ours in bread and in wine. We come together and invest in this relationship to remind one another who we are, sinners who have been redeemed by Christ the crucified. It is imperative sisters and brothers, that if we want to see the mission done, we must engage in relationship with the Father, and we must engage in relationship with those who are inside the family of faith. But friends, that's not it either. And so let's continue. One last look here in Luke chapter 6 as Jesus shows us definitively that third relationship. It says, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now we catch here interesting language, a great number of people. And this language is distinctive from the disciples and from the twelve. A great number of people from Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon, from very Gentile lands. In other words, there are those gathered around to hear Jesus' words and to see his works, both those who believe in him and those who do not. This great number of people, this large crowd from Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon are those who are outside of the faith. Those who are not orienting their life around Jesus. These are those who do not yet believe. And throughout the gospel, Jesus will continue to preach, to have compassion on, to engage with those who are outside the family of faith. Again, church, if Jesus' life is the definitive way to live, and it is this third relationship that Jesus engages in, then so too you and me. It is imperative that we engage in relationships with people who are outside the family of faith, who are not yet orienting their lives around Jesus. 
that like Jesus, we can speak the things of good news. We can pray for their healing. That like Jesus, we can invest in that relationship for the sake of seeing people come to faith in Him. Now, church, we don't have time to unpack the Gospels, but if we were to unpack Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you would see Jesus living in this kind of dance between these three relationships over and over and over and over again. A relationship with His Father, a relationship with disciples, those who are orienting their life around Him, and investing in a relationship with those who are outside the faith. Church, as we begin to live out this missional mandate, we can't do that without a sense of rooted identity. We can't do that without understanding who God says we are and living out who God says other people are. And we can't do that unless we invest intentionally in the relationships that Jesus invested in, in these relationships up and in and out. But church, I'll say it again. Relationships are hard work because people are people. And so we'll need one another and we'll need God's Holy Spirit to so fill us with His presence and His good news so that as we are sent forth, we can reimagine all of our relationships in the context of Jesus' relationships. As we step forward in this mission, friends, we do so with these two non-negotiables, a rooted identity and intentional relationships. When we live through these filters, then, then we will begin to see the mandate of Jesus not only understood, but lived out by the people who call Holy Cross home. To God be the glory. Amen? So now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.